When I was about 16 or 17, I was at boarding school at Our Lady of Mercy College in Parramatta in Sydney. And uh, I was coming back from late study and uh, I went into the, uh, the communal bathroom and there was a baby boarder in there sobbing, crying and so distressed and she was washing the blood out of sheets. And I went over to her and I said, what's going on? And she said that Sister Anne Mary, who she'd asked for help, had told her that she had to go and she wasn't allowed to go to bed or get any clean sheets until she'd got all of the blood out of her stained sheets. I was incensed. You know, I'd never really spoken truth to power in my life. I was only 16 or 17. But I said to her, come on, darling, we'll come and, and I'll get you some clean sheets and I'll take care of Sister Anne Mary. You just leave that there. And, and uh, anyway, I, I went back and, uh, and it wasn't long before Sister Anne Mary came and she said, where's so-and-so? And I said, if I ever see you behave towards anybody like that ever, I'm going to tell the bishop. Of course, I didn't know the bishop. But <laughs> <laughs> I was absolutely furious. And I said to her, you know, you wear a habit, you are a sister of mercy and you have behaved in such an appalling, thoughtless, bullying way to this young girl. I said, I just never, ever, ever want to see that again. And that experience actually really empowered me because I knew that sister, I had Sister Anne Mary then. I mean, she was never gonna, never gonna take me on again. And, and it was just wonderful because what it did was it showed me that how powerful you can be when you speak justice, when you see injustice. And I knew I'd won my first case. <laughs> And it, and it felt just great. <laughs> Forty years later, another young woman came into my radar in my practice here at the bar, and she required justice too. The case that I'm about to tell you about stays with me to this day, and it gives me strength in times when I think it's all, everything is all just too hard. And we all have those moments, so. Okay, just imagine you are a young, beautiful, powerful, 15-year-old Aboriginal girl living on country, enjoying your life. You're living the life you know you were born to live. You don't speak English. You get pregnant to an older man, Banjo. Wrong skin. Your mothers are sisters. You go to Alice Springs with Banjo to have the baby delivered in the hospital. The baby takes a long time to come. And you come out of that experience as a paraplegic. 
You and Banjo believe, as does all of your mob, that this is a punishment for wrong skin. The old men of the tribe tell Banjo that he has to stay with you because of what has happened. And in fact, you have two more children with Banjo. My client demanded to live on country. She didn't want to live in Alice Springs. She wanted to live on country. She seeks assistance because she thinks, maybe it wasn't all my fault. She seeks assistance from lawyers. In 2002, right, the second year of the 21st century, I get a brief. Her lawyers had abandoned the case without even consulting her. For some reason, allegedly, they couldn't find out why you would go in as a very healthy young woman to Alice Springs Hospital to have a baby and come out as a paraplegic. I, uh, I then got an extension of time for that case for 20 years, which was almost unheard of, but we got there. I got a gynaecologist from England because I've found in my years in Australia as a personal injury lawyer that often it's very difficult to get other, other doctors to call out their own tribe. And so I wanted to get somebody who was going to give me a really proper opinion because I just knew this was not possible. I knew I had to drive down to see her. She lived 350 kilometres west of Alice Springs, out on the Plenty Highway. When you get to Hearts Range, that's when the bitumen stops, and you've then got about 150 or 200 k's. I was there in February, stinking bloody hot, and 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 you know, and wet, red sand. You're zooming all over the road, wondering if you're going to get bogged, or if you're going to turn the car over. It took 10 or 11 hours before I got to the community. Whew. We got to the community. Went to the nurse's um, uh, medical centre. There was a, a permanent nurse there. And um, we were shown our room, which was very nice. It was air conditioned. We had bunk beds and we had our own bathroom. And then I went down to see my client. My client was living on a slab of concrete, at one end of that slab of concrete was an old corrugated iron shed, a small shed with no windows. Inside that shed, on 40-gallon drums, was a piece of plywood with a small mattress on the top of it. The room was so small that you couldn't get, you couldn't get into it, you couldn't walk around in it. Um, there was no air conditioning, there was no power, there was no kitchen, there was no stove, there was just that room and the rest of the slab of concrete. My client was sitting on the ground with, she'd made a fire with some sticks, boiling a billy to make me a cup of tea. Next to her was the wheelchair, which was like something out of World War I. I was just horrified. I'd never seen anything like it. Banjo was there. 
he was quite a nice bloke. He spoke uh, some English, what we would say in um, courtroom parlance is he knew just enough English to get himself into trouble. Um, and uh, and so he was he was working. He worked as a uh, as a stockman on Jervois Station. And um, anyway, my client didn't have very much English, hardly any. But anyway, she got up. Uh, she was put into her wheelchair and she took me over and showed me where her ablution block was. Now this was um, built probably 20 years earlier. It had a, um, was again corrugated iron. I mean, we're talking 40 degrees plus in the summertime and we're talking freezing in the winter. Um, no hot water, a raised toilet, no door, Impossible to keep clean. God knows who used the um, the toilet. Um, just a hose attachment for a shower of cold water. And that's how she lived. But, you know, this woman didn't stop smiling. It was just incredible. She didn't seem upset or angry. She was just showing me what her life was. Outside the ablution block was a big tub where she proudly showed me where she did her washing, her sheets. So she would um, wash the sheets in cold water and then she would wring them dry. And Banjo had spread for her a clothesline made of barbed, made of barbed wire, which was nearby. And he turned the barbs down because the only way you could get the height so the sheets didn't hit the ground was, and she showed me, like an Olympian, she would throw the sheets up like that and they'd go over. And, of course, they wouldn't fall off the line because those little knuckles would hold them. She didn't have to do her own washing, I'm sure, but she did it. And she proudly showed me that she could. I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that anybody in Australia in the 21st century was living like this. I knew that she would have to come in to Alice Springs because I needed to take a proper statement from her with an interpreter. There was only Banjo there and he was obviously going to be involved in the case as well. So she had to, I don't know if you know much about paraplegia, but the issues with paraplegia are you get massive urinary tract infections, you get, um, you get sores on your buttocks, and you get very often very significant and very painful renal issues, which is kidney, basically kidney problems. So um, she had to come in in the back of the ambulance, 20 hours drive into Alice Springs, which would have been very, very painful for her. Um, you know, I was in my jackaroo, it was okay. I was feeling pretty cool then. I'd done the trip there, going back was easy, you know, uh, back into Alice. And um, so we get to uh, the legal aid office in Alice Springs and I'm sitting there. My, uh, my interpreter was the recently deceased um, Rosie Kerno monks who was just wonderful, and my client there in her wheelchair. And um, I said to um, 
I said to her, as you always say to personal injury clients, like, I want you to tell me all the things that you can't do because of your injury, you know. Um, uh, you can't dance. You can't go and get sugar bag out of the trees. Can't teach your girls to dance. She just looked at me and said, nothing I can't do, Sally. Unbelievable. And I thought about it and I said to her through Rosie, you can't run away from Banjo, you've had two more babies. Well, we all looked at each other and we laughed like girls laugh and her eyes were dancing, you know, it was just a wonderful moment. Then I told her that we'd got the report back from the gynaecologist in England and what had happened was they had given her two epidurals. I don't know if you know, there's an epidural space at the base of your spine. A lot of women that have had babies have probably had an epidural. Um, but it's only a very small space and you can only put a certain amount of liquid in it and then you have to wait until it permeates. They'd given her two epidurals in 10 or 15 minutes and that put too much pressure on the epidural space, bang, into, onto the spinal cord. That's what caused the paraplegia. Um, so I told her that and I said, you know, it wasn't your fault. It's not wrong skin, nothing to do with that. The hospital, they were the bad ones. You know, they had an inquiry, I mean, really, that they didn't work that out. Anyway, so I then told her that, you know, you're going to get a really, really big bag of money, okay? <laughs> Which I love telling my clients. And you're going to be a really, really rich woman, you know? You're going to be very powerful. And she didn't kind of do anything like that, but I could see that it just touched her, you know? It, 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 she just let it wash over her. It was like, that was, that was nice, you know? But it wasn't massive enthusiasm or anything like that. She was satisfied. She knew she had justice. She died six months before the hearing from renal failure. But she knew it wasn't her fault. Her spirit never wavered. She was never defined by her injury. She still gives me strength on bad days. She would have been 50 this year. Thank you. <laughs>